Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future of Women podcast. I am Azara Zoe Proknod. I'm the founder of Goldune, a new e-commerce retail brand making sustainability less beige. We do all things home, lifestyle, personal care on the web, and our goal is to make sustainability less intimidating or shame or blame or <laughs> gloom or doom driven and more inclusive, warm, joyful, and colorful for all. And it's through my work at Goldoon that I got to know our guest today, Jen, who's the founder and CEO of Squishful. I initially reached out to Jen about her amazing sponges and cleaning products. And over time, our partnership has blossomed into something amazing. And she's one of my favorite people to work with and to talk to. And so Jen, I'd actually love, I have a ton of juicy questions for you, but I'd love if you wouldn't mind kicking things off by telling us a little bit more about you and also what Squishful is before I, I take it to the next level and like start asking you tons of questions about sugar cane and bamboo. Sure. I'm the founder and CEO of Squishful. We make zero waste kitchen and home accessories that clean and leave the world cleaner. All of our products and packaging are plant-based, plastic-free, made of biodegradable, compostable, and carbon-saving materials. Amazing. And it's true. Definitely every product you've made cleans and leaves the world cleaner. I'm, I'm like obsessed with that tagline. If you haven't seen Squishful's products, they're really brilliant. It basically, it pops up when underwater, but it ships flat, which makes it less carbon intensive to ship. And it reminds me so much of those. I don't know if you had those ever, Jen, or if I've talked to you about this before, but like those little washcloths that you would get as a kid and run underwater. And then they became this huge thing, but they started off as this compressed little tablet. Mm -hmm. I used to get the Disney ones. And so the sponge version felt like a the fun adult Disney version. toy for adults. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I was immediately hooked. The um, responsible version. Yeah. <laughs> yes. The responsible Disney pop-up sponge, but you've done a really amazing job of finding something that you're deeply passionate about nailing the execution and then being really thoughtful about growing into new categories beyond just the one hero pop-up sponge that have really good product market fit. And you've also made it look really effortless. I'm curious what you. materials, you're welcome, what materials and products you think are in need of a major makeover and what you have an itch to make more sustainable from a product development and design perspective. Oh, yeah. So where do, where do we begin? Food packaging for sure. Things that are packaged individually drive me crazy, yeah. like snacks, ice cream bars, packs of ramen. But um, I'm actually a really big whiskey lover. I love whiskey. I didn't know and that about you. I'm obsessed yeah, with this new fact. <laughs> I have to say the spirits industry, the industrial farming of monoculture, corn right. or grains, using new oak barrels for, for bourbon in particular, diverting mm -hmm. fresh water, we can do better. We have literally thousands of varietals of grapes and coffee, but we have one yellow corn that's grown, I think on like 90 million acres in, in the US alone. Does nothing for human and environmental health. There are some small producers that are doing some amazing things. Like there's this brand Workhorse Rye that I really love. They make beautiful spirits using heirloom corns and grains, and they only use used barrels. They also celebrate the indigenous communities that have been protectors and cultivators of these varietals. So check them out if you, if you love whiskey and, and call me, I will join you. 
I'm writing it down. I'm also, I'm maybe not like a huge whiskey buff. I don't feel like I know all the things you're supposed to know in order to call yourself an aficionado, but I, I definitely enjoy drinking a good rye. So noted. Also on that note, when we, we talk about corn, I'm curious about your opinion about corn-based bioplastics or some of the other ways that folks are quote unquote sustainably for better or for worse using corn. Yeah. That is a tricky, it's, it's tricky because I think it's great to be using a renewable resource like corn. But again, when we're working with a monoculture or crops that divert a lot of water, that use uh, a lot of water, a lot of land for this kind of low nutrient product, it does get really complicated. And then PLA in particular, and you know, this is not necessarily unique to PLA, but bioplastics in general are tricky in that they look a lot like regular plastics. And so there's this kind of catching up we have to do as a society around kind of how to manage them. We're often putting a PLA cup that looks exactly like plastic into a plastic recycling stream And then that bin is then contaminated. And so Mm -hmm. everything in there isn't getting recycled. So I think that there's upfront problems using corn and and PLA. And then I also think there's downstream problems as well. But with these newer materials, I mean, we're we're just kind of becoming self-aware with them. We're just kind of learning about them. So I, I think that we'll catch up. And I think that overall, we're moving in the right direction. To that note, I think your use of materials is really clever and thoughtful. And in my own work, I definitely consider you a a materials wizard that I (laughs) can turn to. I have questions about corn-based PLA and others, but I'm curious. Can you tell us a little bit more about the ways that you work with, or in some cases, maybe even manipulate sugarcane, loofah, bamboo, and some of the other materials that you use to make biodegradable or thoughtfully designed products? Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about this before. I'm like super proud of our sugarcane packaging. I literally, I'm like, Hey, how's it going? Our packaging sugar-free <laughs> is tree-free. I am really excited about working with crop waste. So essentially our packaging is taking sugarcane after the cane juice has been pressed and we're taking the husk and that gets pulped into paper very similar to regular wood fiber paper. It looks the same, it feels the same, it can be processed in the same paper recycling stream at uh, the end of its life, and it can be recycled about the same number of times as a craft paper. But we found that it uses significantly less water, less energy, and produces less carbon in its production. So given the wildfires of last year and kind of the continued deforestation, we really felt like we needed to move our packaging off of wood fiber and look at a tree-free alternative like sugarcane. But I have to say, there's nothing really innovative about how we approach product design. I think we're a disruptive brand in a, in a sleepy category that's like way less sleepy now that the mindful cleaning movement has kind of taken off. But these are really old materials. I think we forget how young plastic is like bamboo has been on earth for 30, 40 million years. Lufa was used by ancient Egyptians. Sisal was used by Aztecs and Mayans. So these materials have had a really long time to evolve and 
are really sophisticated. So when we work with a material, we just try to bring out its natural qualities. An example of that is, you know, we try not to varnish our bamboo or over-process our sisal because they both have natural antimicrobial qualities. We also look at how we can support growers that have cultivated these plants for centuries. We look at how we can design out waste and design for circularity. And we really look at how to make our products accessible too. You accomplished it all. I love that. I love your points about how evolved some of these materials or some of these plants are and how and when you really think about it, it's been less than 100 years of manipulating or engineering plastics or other materials that we don't have, let's say, like tenable ways of reusing or restoring or getting rid of. It's such a blip right. on the radar. And yet it's wild how, I mean, this is, I'm not breaking news here, but it's, it's just wild how far we've gone in such a short period of time. And I love that you're making sort of a return to like let's say natural fibers or, or renewable resources feel, I think as sophisticated or as exciting as, I don't know, the alternatives on the market. And I say that, I know you said there's nothing like crazy about your push to product development, but I, I also think there is something really thoughtful and really smart about your approach and that you've created a product that is, even if I didn't know all of those things, quite exciting or quite pleasant to use and that, that looks good on the shelves or looks good on your kitchen counter. And I think for me, in my work, that's a, a huge motif, right? Is like, I think yeah. folks folks need that option. They want that option. And sometimes people don't have the bandwidth or even the privilege, right? To go down the rabbit hole doing all of that research or that homework of every single purchase, right? Like the minutia down to the sponge. They, they might just not have that brain space or those calories. And I love that yeah. you've made an option that makes that choice simple without having to do all of the homework or all of the research you, you can yeah. get sort of as as high a performance as like let's say the leading green and yellow sponge on the market and I know these these are like little things but they do I hope slash think add up at scale and I think harder than it sounds to make sustainable options or to sort of bridge the gap between where we are on a, a sustainable product development or technology front with where we are on a, a design or kind of our, our expectations for brands these days. It's not always an easy <laughs> gap to bridge. And I just think you've done a phenomenal job of doing it. Thank you. And I just wanted to speak, you know, kind of piggyback on what you're saying about, I think there's just been this longstanding trend that using natural fibers or natural materials has to have this rustic charm. <laughs> like we have to be whisked away to some like Tuscan villa, which actually sounds pretty great. That sounds um, like the best version of that, but I get what <laughs> yeah. you're saying. Yeah, but it's exciting. And I, and I love your work too, because it's kind of bringing to the forefront makers and producers that are going back in time and maybe exploring things we knew, things that ancient cultures understood about living in balance and borrowing from those ideas, but bringing to them this modern design sensibility, something that is exciting for today and for the future. So yeah, I really love your work for that reason too. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I love that we're gassing each other up on the air right now. <laughs> Sorry to anyone who's like, yuck. But no, it's it's great. We're both, I think, also solo founders. And so there's some amazing value in getting to talk about this stuff and feeling a little less 
little less solo for a few minutes. To that note, I'd love to dial it back quickly to sort of your origin story days. Why sponges specifically and what sort of sparked the itch? Yeah. So one day I woke up and I decided I wanted to be a sponge lady. Yeah. Um, Eight years ago, I found out that I have polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is the leading cause of infertility in women after aging. And I realized pretty quickly that doctors don't have like a strong consensus about what causes POS or what to do about it. So I did my own research and I came across all of these studies linking PCOS to bisphenol A or BPA, a chemical used to make plastic. It was a real eye-opener for me. It's hard to come to terms with the fact that all the plastic ever made that's well, still here, is affecting our health. Women especially because female biology, gender roles, and inequality increase health risks to women. So the fight against plastic pollution is also a fight for women's rights. And I could really go off on a tangent and, and explore <laughs> that, but I could also I could also just say, like, I think understanding that gender shapes our relationship with plastic can really help us think about what we can do about it. I think we can reduce our own individual consumption, but real change happens when we address the systemic inequalities. But kind of reeling it back to, to me and, and my story, I started to reduce plastic in my life and that was a real eye-opener too. You know, I started noticing all these things like plastic straws and coffee cup lids and takeout containers and all these things that surround what we eat and drink. I started to reduce plastic in my kitchen first. And one day I literally needed a new sponge. So I went down to the bodega, I was living in Brooklyn at the time, and there was the iconic yellow one with the green scrubby side. And that was it. I kind of knew then that I had found something special, something everybody has that doesn't really need any introduction, something we use every day that's not stuck in a drawer or a closet, something that gets thrown out because there's just no way to recycle it. All of these things made me want to make a better sponge. So I did. I love that. I know we get a lot of questions from folks who are sort of new to sustainability or haven't found their place in the movement quite yet or in, in like as far as what the lifestyle changes kind of work for them or feasible for them and one of the questions we get the most is really like where should I start or what should I do first and the answer is of course different for everyone there is no one size fits all and I'm not a fan of sitting on a soapbox or a high horse and telling people how to live their lives I think the sustainability world and community gets so much of that and so much sort of fear-based marketing or marketing rooted in shame or like toxicity. And I don't, I don't know what path someone's walking, but I think one of the easiest tips that I can think of that we share often is like, of course, it's different for everyone, but think about what items in your home have high turnover and quick turnaround, what you're throwing away the most or what needs to be replaced the most, what you're sort of buying with the greatest frequency, whether that's your toilet paper, your sponge, your paper towels, your laundry detergent, everybody has those core staples that they find themselves needing to replenish relatively often because they go through it relatively often. It's easy to think of starting there rather than a huge shift. I'd love for us right. all to be like switching to clean energy, but that's a huge shift. For a lot of people, right. that's 
so overwhelming that it's prohibitive or it's paralyzing. Switching your sponge is actually the opposite of paralyzing. It's super doable. You made a product that comes at a price point that is accessible. I'm just piling on to your choice there. I think that those, in some ways, those are the most accessible or the most low-hanging fruit. And I'm not saying that everyone changes their sponge will solve the climate crisis because that's, of course, just not true. <laughs> but what, what I think it does do is it, it hopefully opens the door to folks finding their own ways to contribute or what their own place is in that movement. And I feel like right now, a lot of people feel really paralyzed or like, crippled by how heavy the climate crisis is or how heavy of a topic sustainability really can be and feeling really a lot of not enoughness, right? Or like they don't do enough, so why start at all? Or like it's not a zero-sum game and minute changes really make a difference. Even opening the door a crack and letting someone feel proud of a few small simple changes or if not proud, at least just active is actually incredibly valuable, especially at scale. Absolutely. There's this myth or this idea that sustainability is this linear model where you go from A, unsustainable to B, sustainable. And (laughs) that's just not realistic, right? It's really more like this big, messy, terrible knot that you pull at from all different angles to try to get it as small as you can. And the reality is you probably, you're never going to get it fully undone, but you, you try and you start, you know, I think you start by looking at the small things to your point, by picking something that makes you happy that you can do every day. You can waste less, eat less meat, ride your bike, try composting. I think it starts with our individual choices, but ultimately it's about making collective change. So the constellation of ways that we can support small businesses, movements, policies that are trying to make a difference. Thinking about what you can do every day that kind of sets you up for success and not this like unattainable idea of perfection. And then thinking about how you can take it a step further and participate in the systems that surround that and that create a more sustainable future. I agree so much. I could not have said it better. That was exactly, exactly everything I think in a nutshell. To that point, I think that's sort of why we started. A lot of folks want a ranking system for products and at Gold Dune, instead of little stamps of approval for like a vegan product or a plastic-free product, we actually just have a sustainability spectrum for each product. And so instead of thinking of sustainability as a binary or a finite destination, it's always a spectrum. And I so wish that we'd created a paradigm or an industry or even a lexicon around sustainability that was more, I don't want to say more binary, but more concrete, because I think a lot of people who are new to the conversation or trying to enter the conversation feel overwhelmed by how much nuance there is or how much gray area or the complexity, right? Even my question about corn and bioplastic, like are bioplastics good or are they bad? I don't know. I hear something different every day and it's, it's a lot to untangle and it requires a lot of time, which is a privilege most people don't have, but also a good amount of confidence or security that you trust your sources and you feel well-informed and thoughtful. And, oh man, I went down a tangent just then, but I think all of that is to say, I think people really want more of a sense of concrete information and painful truth is that it it doesn't really exist. The best we can do is to offer 
information and clarity around the spectrum, clarity around what we can do slightly better. It's so, so human, the journey through sustainable product development or sustainable design or sustainable commerce. It's never truly perfect to your point. It's a constant lifelong evolution and there is no destination in so many ways. That's such a metaphor for literally everything. But of course, we're all walking around the planet feeling like there is like a finite, <laughs> the finite destination or perfection is just on the horizon. And if we just work a little bit harder, we'll be there tomorrow. Or like there, there's some sort of end to us working on ourselves as people. And like tomorrow we wake up and we're our best selves. But of course, like everything that would else. Be amazing. I know. And it, doesn't it feel like sometimes that illusion is just around the corner? Sustainable whiskey makes me feel that way. <laughs> totally. I mean, that's especially after two glasses, I'm sure that it would yeah. make me feel that way too. <laughs> <laughs> to that note, I think talking a little bit about sustainable language or the language we use around sustainability, one of the things in addition to the sustainability spectrum that we talk about a lot at Goldoon, and I'm sure you've talked about together too, is just this idea that the word sustainable itself has become in so many ways, like the buzzword of the century or the decade, mm -hmm. <laughs> and it gets thrown around constantly. And now I feel like the new buzzword that's replaced it is greenwashing as people mm -hmm. grapple with the reality. Sustainability is sort of a fraught word or at its worst, like just an empty marketing word. I wish of course that I could make a new word and have it be instantly recognizable by all and use that to describe our business instead. But alas, I can only do one thing at a time. And I picked the business over transforming English. But what I will say is, I think it's one of those words that means something different to everyone who uses it. And I'm really curious what sustainability means to you personally and professionally. Yeah, that's a really great question. And I love how you've chosen to look at it from a spectrum approach because yeah, going back to what you said, what's sustainable for someone on one end might be not sustainable for someone on the other end, even though let's say we're all working towards solving our climate crisis. We all consider ourselves, let's say environmentalists, we're all in the same room, same team. But even if you look at something like bamboo, which I love, I think it's, it's a wonderful renewable material. Someone else might say, well, that's an invasive species. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's so hard to your point to look at it in a binary way. What I've seen is people look at it in a value, like in a value aligned way, mm -hmm. which is helpful because even though it places us at the center, I think what it's really doing is emphasizing our connection or humanity's connection to the natural world. So what really feels honest to me is thinking about sustainability in terms of, are we creating a more equitable society? Are we creating a healthier culture? Even though these are kind of human centric, I think about them through the lens of, of, of our climate and of our connection to, to the planet. So yeah, I don't know if that answers it the does. question. I love that. And I think okay. creating a more <laughs> equitable planet means an equitable planet for people, for plants, for animals. It, it can really, I think the metaphor extends far beyond like through the human centric interpretation. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a lot easier in a sense to, I guess, position yourself and kind of where you are in your journey when you think about it that way, right? Because mm -hmm. there is all of this jargon and greenwashing, yeah, what is a bioplastic, what is recycling even? And these aren't the things that make us more sustainable or define sustainability. 
it's really our connection to each other and the kindness that we show to each other and the kindness that we show to to the natural world. So, yeah. I love it. I think that's like a brilliant note to end on. After all of the different things we've we've discussed, both today and also in our, our other episode arcs, I, I love the way that you put some of these ideas together and the way you say them. You're, of course, always so thoughtful and so well-spoken, and I think that you do really brilliant things. It's been such a pleasure and a delight, Jen. Thank you so much. I can't wait to talk to you off the air and, and keep doing this. Thank you so much for, yeah, for having me and for these great questions. And I'm a big fan of you. So thank you. Oh, thank you.